Hi, my name is Callie, and on this podcast, hindsight is everything. Our goal is to look back on seasons we've been through and help prepare those about to face the same things. There's something powerful in knowing you're not alone and knowing someone has gone before you. So I gather up some great people, I ask them all the questions I can think of, and then, hopefully, by the end, we're better than when we started. I'm so happy you're here. Welcome to No One Told Me. On the majority of the episodes up to this point, I've had a vague notion of the subject, like nutrition, anxiety, momming. I knew just enough to be a somewhat meaningful part of the conversation, but not in this episode. You'll hear the phrases, I didn't even realize that, and I have never thought about it that way a lot of times. Like if you're feeling crazy slash sugar deprived, eat a donut hole every time you hear those phrases, and you'll just, you'll thank me later for that fun little game. Anyway, my friends Tom and Brooke walked a unique journey for years. They've taught me so much in those years. Their genuine kindness, consistent thoughtfulness, and unwavering faithfulness has been an example I have admired and followed. They walked a path few have to walk, but so many can help contribute. Here's no one told me I would need an organ donor. We know we've heard a little bit of your all story, thank goodness, on the Valentine's Day episode, which is what made that episode. Um, And if you have not heard it, um, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it. You can even fast forward to the end, for goodness sakes, and listen to the whole story that they share uh, about one of their most embarrassing date stories. But um, we are with the Sokoviaks again today, but we're going to do a full episode with them because they have an incredible story that I think you all um, need to hear and will benefit from hearing. But first, let's just hear a little bit about yourselves outside of your um, special Valentine's Day story that you shared with us. So what do you all love to do? How do you spend your time? All that good stuff. Well, she's pointing at me to start. Uh, <laughs> I wondered who was going to yeah. who, who face off. You know, by the nature of my job, I work in uh, the athletic department at the University of Tennessee. So just by the nature of what I do and kind of uh, the nature of all the different events and all those different sports that uh, that I'm kind of tied up in throughout the year, uh, we do enjoy sports. We enjoy watching, you know, various Tennessee teams play. And um, during a big part of the year in the winter, I'm traveling with the men's basketball team. And so uh, I think she enjoys watching basketball in particular. Thank goodness uh, you found someone who likes sports. It never would have worked otherwise. So no, that does, <laughs> you know, that's, that's my profession, but it does spill into our personal life mm-hmm. quite a bit. And, uh, gosh, outside of that, you know, we like to, uh, I'd say that we're kind of outdoorsy. We like to, mm-hmm. you know, do some, some hiking and, uh, you know, take advantage of all the things outdoors, uh, that, that East Tennessee has to offer. You have a dog uh, the size of a horse. We do. You can we saddle love, him up and ride yeah. him around we love the house. Our, uh, okay. Bernese mountain dogs. Yeah. Although right now we just have one calf ago, but, uh, so we're I dog lovers. I just want to call him cardigan cause I can't ever remember his name, but I know <laughs> well, it starts with a C. We can make you a cardigan with his fur. <laughs> with his face on it would be yes preferable. I'll look into that. We love to travel. I guess that we do. We do yeah. really like scuba to travel. Dive. We're scuba divers. <gasps> really? Mm-hmm. Did you do training? Yes. You did? certification. Yeah. Nothing special. Where have you scuba'd? We have been fortunate enough to scuba scuba dive in <laughs> Bora Bora. We've been there for a trip. Um, been to the Turks and Caicos before. Um, one of our favorite places um, is an island called Anguilla. Really? Yeah, and that was some really great diving. Um, where else have we gone? Do you ever get nervous when you're diving? I don't. I do. I will say that she <laughs> she gets nervous uh, if we stray from the group and I'm navigating because she thinks I'm going to get us lost uh-huh. underwater. It's and valid. she's also very... Underwater. That's the worst combination. <laughs> what you just underwater. said literally just made me start sweating. Lost underwater. <laughs> she's also uh, afraid of eels and does not like eels. Absolutely. I, you should be. Understood. Snake of the sea. That's a healthy fear. I don't do snakes, yes. so naturally I'm not going to do eels. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Nope. And they're just, they look... They're gross. You know, you touched on it a little bit, Brooke, but your all story um, is one that shows so many 
different characteristics of not just God, but of your all's personality. I was initially just going to say like the characteristics of God, his faithfulness and his grace and mercy. You see it all in your all story, but it also brought out, it's how I feel like I really got to know you guys. Like I knew you, but then when we all just dived into this and I even was still kind of on the outskirts of it, I still feel like, um, the way you all carried yourselves through your story. And that's why I wanted to have you all jump in on this. But Tom, I kind of want to start with you on it, um, your perspective of it. When did you know that you would have to be an organ recipient? I mean, that's kind of, tell a little bit how you got to that point of, okay, I'm going to have to start this journey of waiting or um, the hills and the valleys of it. Why did you end up on the list? All of that kind of set the backstory for us. Well, shortly after I graduated high school, uh, I guess I was maybe 19 years old and I started having some uh, GI problems. And when you're 19 and, you know, I had played sports all my life, um, you believe at that time that you're invincible. And so uh, I went probably about six months before I ever said anything to anybody about it. And I finally told my dad, I was like, you know, there's something going on. And so I had, I was living in mid-Michigan at the time in a small town called Bay City. And had some doctor's appointments lined up and they diagnosed me with ulcerative colitis. This is just like some GI inflammation. It's not all that uncommon. And through the course of that diagnosis, they said, you know, there's also something going on with your liver, but the doctors in mid Michigan, they weren't able to really put a finger on exactly what was happening. And so they referred me to the university of Michigan and I went and saw a specialist there and had a couple of tests done, one being an ERCP. And that test, um, diagnosed me with a liver disease called primary sclerosis and cholangitis. And uh, for the rest of our talk here, we'll refer to that as PSC. Okay, that'd be, um, please don't say that word over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> so um, PSC is a disease of the liver where your uh, the bile ducts in your liver gradually constrict and so the bile can't flow properly and your liver just doesn't function like it should. And there is no cure for it. And really your only hope is at some point uh, you're going to need a transplant, but there's no predictor. You know, you could go, 10, 15, 20 years and your liver be okay. And I went quite a few years where my liver function was sufficient and I was able to live pretty much a normal life. We were blessed to be able to travel and do things and play sports. Um, and it was just maybe over the last seven, eight years where kind of the liver health gradually started to get worse and worse. And so knowing that a transplant was going to eventually be, you know, it was going to come down to that for me at some point, who knew when that would be. Um, that diagnosis of PSC came in 2000 and um, so now here we are, you know, 19 years, 18 years later, and uh, I finally got to the, the finish line with, for that, you know, particular, uh, health journey. But, uh, it was just a long, long road kind of leading up to that point, but that's kind of the origin story yeah. of how we came to know about it. Did they tell you, okay, this disease means that you're going to need another liver. Here's what you're going to have to do. Or did you have to kind of like you said, you were fine for several normal life, whatever, for several years. And then when it started deteriorating, is that when they were like, okay, it's, this is going to have to be the, the end course is we knew what, getting we a knew transplant. the transplant would be somewhere down the road, you know, okay. that it was probably going to come to that. But at the same time, they said, you know, for now, you just live your life, you mm -hmm. know, do, do what mm -hmm. you can do. And, and right now your liver's functioning fine. And, uh, we'll put you on this medication that'll sort of help your bile flow a little easier. Um, but eventually it's going to get to the point where there's nothing that's going to, you know, mm -hmm. fix, fix the problem that's happening with the organ itself. So you know what the end goal is. You just kind of, it, it, it's a roll of the dice. You yeah. know, who knows how long I'm going to have here before it really gets serious and I've yeah. got to be, you know, faced with, uh, the transplant because for a lot of those years, I didn't really, it was just something that was in the back didn't of my think mind, about but it, it wasn't something I woke up every day thinking about. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear a lot about the list. Uh, I mean, I just know it from Grey's Anatomy. I swear every episode they need an organ donor from the list. And they say, well, put them on the list. We'll get them to the top or whatever. I don't know how much I can trust Meredith Grey. I don't know if she's telling me the truth, how it really works. Yeah. But will you explain? I think I truly didn't even second think uh, organ donation or anything until I met you guys and, and kind of was watching this this story play out. Talk a little bit about what it is, uh, the list, how it works um, when you got put on it, all of that kind of stuff. Cause that's kind of what sparked, I feel like uh, mine and Brooke's relationship too, was just those conversations that we had daily mm -hmm. about yeah. what, what it meant and what other people think it means and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I can't talk about how the process works for every organ. Cause mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a little bit different for hearts and sure. kidneys, uh, bone marrow, et cetera. 
But for the liver uh, list, there's a national organization called UNOS, or the United Network for Organ Sharing. And that's a national body broken up into different regions, and they allocate and manage that list. And you have to basically reach a certain level of illness. Okay. Uh, you have to be sick enough, basically, mm -hmm. to be put on the list. And when you're put on a list in a particular region, it might be a five or six state region, um, livers stay within that region. You know, so I'm never going to, in Tennessee, get an organ from California, okay. most likely, uh, the way things are set up currently. But uh, so your standing on that list is based on a MELD score, which means mild end-stage liver disease. And that's a measure of uh, certain things that are determined through your blood work. So every time you get blood work, they measure all these liver levels and they come up with, here's your score. And in order to be considered, quote, competitive to where you're actually waiting on a call, um, in this region at my transplant center, which was Vanderbilt University Medical Center, you're competitive when you hit around 1920 okay. on the list. Yeah. Well, for years and years, I hovered between 13 and 15. So, you know, it's kind of frustrating because you're wanting this to come. Okay, let's get this over with. Let's yeah. get this transplant. And then you get your updated MELD score and it's, you know, 14. And mm -hmm. you're saying, golly, there's, I got a long way to go yeah. before, you know, mm -hmm. how sick am I going to have to get to get up to 19, I 20? didn't even think about that. You had to, you had to think about, okay, I feel like this now. Right. Exactly. And it's only 14. What am I going to feel like? I've n I did not even think about that. Yeah. So you're, you're gradually kind of working your way as your liver function decreases and things continue to go wrong. And really when your liver's not functioning properly, it's just a domino effect of a million mm -hmm. other things that it affects, you know, your bone health, all sorts of things. Um, so when you're in it, it really stinks. But now looking back, I mean, it's, those things are sort of a blessing in disguise because you're gradually moving up the list and getting yeah. to a point where maybe you're competitive. And so it took several, several years for me to get to that point. And, uh, I don't know if you have anything to add to this. I'll, I'll turn it over to the medical expert maybe to elaborate more on what I might be missing. Uh, no, you, you hit most of the high points. Well, also for you, Brooke, want to know, we've touched on this before. How much did you know when you, and I'm sure you knew the full story, but did you know the extent it could get to when you and Tom met and then got married? Like you have, we've even joked about this, like how it's a blessing in and of itself that you married someone from the medical field who could walk this journey with you full of knowledge and understanding of it. So how much did you know of it uh, kind of when you and Tom first start, got married and started your life together? Well, when we first met, actually one of our first official dates we had, he told me that he had this liver disease. I, I had never heard of it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it was. I was in nursing school at that point. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, whatever. Oh, you know, fine. we'll, we'll deal with that later. You yeah. know, you look fine now. So, um, you mean fine. That's yeah, right. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but obviously, you know, I look it up. Yeah. I find out, you know, okay, well, this is kind of a serious thing. But like I said, we'll just cross that bridge when we get there. Um, but it's a double edged sword because you know exactly yeah. a lot of the things that, you know, your loved one is going to go through with a particular disease process. And so it's like, you know, exactly what to, what to look for. Yeah. But you also know that there's probably going to be a lot of suffering involved with that because you know how serious it's going to mm -hmm. be which makes it very, very difficult. Um, sometimes ignorance really is bliss. Yeah. But I think in this case, you know, it, it couldn't have worked out any better um, because having that knowledge really is super helpful, helpful for someone when, when you're going to a doctor's appointment. You, you don't know, like, sometimes the questions to ask. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not thinking about those things. So um, we made a good team as yeah. far as, as that goes. But... Um, and kind of what you talked about, like you knew what was probably going to come. And yeah. Tom, you just touched on it too. When you said you were sitting at 14 and you knew the number you had to be at and just thinking, if I feel like this at 14, what am I going to feel like right. at 20? And, or and that was what was most frustrating <clears throat> because what he looked like on paper with that score was not what he looked like in person yeah. or, you know, how he physically and mentally felt yeah. and emotionally. Um, you know, it was... You know, if I had rated it, I would have been like, oh, you're at a 30-something right now. Yeah. But, you know, you, you well, get that score back. Because you're every day. You're right. watching it play right. out. How did you all handle – I'm sure there's a lot of emotions that are tied to that, um, that season of 
we've got, you have to get to this certain number. I feel like this now. So what is it? I'm sure there's fear. There's anxiety. How did you all deal with those? I mean, this was, how long would you say when it started getting worse, how long was it that you all had to just sit in that and wait? Well, he was placed on the transplant list summer of 2014. Yeah. So he sat on the list for a little over four years before he, you know, finally got the call. Yeah. So during that four, well, let me back up. When he first got put on the list, when we found out that, that he had been um, approved, we're like, oh, this is great. This yeah. is awesome. You know, here we go. But looking back, I mean, talk about making baby steps toward getting that call. I mean, because they were true baby steps. Mm-hmm. Never did we think that it would have taken four years. And, and maybe in some aspects where he's very fortunate because some people may end up waiting longer than that. Um, some people, you know, unfortunately are so sick that, um, they don't end up waiting that long. And, and some of those that are in that position, unfortunately don't get an organ. Yeah. Um, because as you know, there's an extreme shortage of, yeah. of organs. So, um, getting that score back and seeing that oh, it's just a 14, yeah, it's just a 15. You just, you get frustrated. Yeah. Um, you're just, you're downtrodden. You're just like, what's it going to take for us to get to that point? And then I'm thinking, I have to think about my husband getting more sick. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you, do you pray for him to get more sick? So, yeah. so his score goes up and he becomes more competitive for an organ. I mean, you don't wish that upon anyone, but you also know that's the only way that anything's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And to give some perspective, the score ranges obviously from zero all the way up to 40. Oh, wow. Um, So when you're like high thirties to 40, I mean, you're basically, you know, you're, you're fighting for your life. We're very lucky in the region that we were in. The state of Tennessee is grouped in with, I think four other States in the region. And, um, this region tends to see more transplants. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of that is due in fact that we're located in the Bible belt. Yeah. So I think you have more people that are, um, more willing to sign up for mm-hmm. organ donation. Um, we also live in a high traffic area with, you know, interstates and a lot of motorcycle riders I and things like that. I've never thought about that. So there are probably an increased number of, um, motorcycle and car, um, accidents and fatalities. You know, you mentioned that you would never think about that. You know, we've been told by some of the doctors that, um, you know, when we got really close and knew that, and, you know, had to stay in this area and not travel. And and we knew that we were approaching that, that call, uh, you know, during holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmases, Mm -hmm. when folks are on the interstates, like you see a spike in transplants during those times because of, you know, multi-car accidents and things like that. Those are just, things that you, you would never, you know, the general person would, would never think of to that. Know it. Yeah. yeah. But um, oh my gosh, I've, that would not have even crossed my mind. And this is awful. And people are probably going to, you know, be ashamed that I would even say this, but when you're in it and you're going through difficult and dark times mm-hmm. and the thought comes in your mind, you know, when you see on the news that there's a four car pile up on the interstate, you know, your first thought isn't, oh, those terror, those, those awful victims. Yeah. Your first thought is, I wonder how many organs will come of that. You know what I mean? And it's terrible to think like that, but that's yeah. the way that but sometimes. But how could you yeah. not? I mean, yeah. truthfully, if you, if I put myself, it makes sense. As soon as you said that, like, as soon as you said, when I see on the news, I knew exactly where it was going because I thought I'm thinking I would think the same thing of, I mean, eventually the sympathy would be there, but the initial gut reaction would be, Will there be transplants Is on that? that? My liver? Yes. Right. Yeah. Well, that does this mean this road's over for me? Um, you know, we we touched on the list and Brooke. One of the best conversations you and I had that was so eye opening is there are so many myths that go with organ donation and with, um, if you sign up for it, it means this is the care you'll get or won't get, or right. there are so many myths tied with it. Ones that I believe too, because that's what I'd heard or seen somewhere or mm-hmm. whatever. What can we just talk a little bit about what some of those myths are and let's just shut them down. Like what you know is the facts. Yeah. Um, I think a big one is people will think, well, if they know I'm an organ donor, then if something happens and I am in a car accident or, you know, I'm rushed to the hospital and I'm unconscious or whatever, they won't do what they need to do to save my mm-hmm. life because they just want my organs. Yeah. 
not true at all. I mean, medical personnel, for the most part at that point, will probably not even know you're an organ that's donor. They actually researched it, and that's exactly what right, I said. Right. Was they don't know right. until you are pronounced. They don't check until you're pronounced dead if you're an organ donor. Yeah, so that is completely not true. I mean, everyone is going to work to save your life, and no that's matter a huge what. One. That's probably the biggest one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's a big one. Um, another big one, sadly, is a lot of people think if you're rich and famous and need an organ, you're going to be the one moved up the list to to get that first and it's not true. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It just, it's based on the severity of your illness, how long you've been on the list, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that really, that has no play in it. Yeah. And to that point, it doesn't matter if your circumstances are maybe self-inflicted, you know, Correct. with liver alcoholism can contribute to someone needing a liver transplant mm-hmm. and the list doesn't discriminate. No, yeah. so not you could all. have maybe done this to yourself. Yeah. Um, poor life choices, but that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't play in. It's strictly that score. It's just that number right. and what it comes back. Right. As. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> another one, a lot of people think that, um, it's too costly for their family member mm-hmm. to donate their organs there's absolutely no cost um, for that. It's, you know, totally yeah. taken care of. Um, people think, well, they can't have an open casket funeral. Absolutely not true. Um, you know, your family member can absolutely do that. Um, <clears throat> another big one is about um, people are concerned about whether or not that their loved one is actually dead. Yeah. And when I say that, um, they have to be declared brain dead in order for them to be an organ donor. And they undergo rigorous testing. Um, they actually so have- pronounced brain dead. Correct. They, I'm with you Correct. Now. So I you have you. to be pronounced brain dead. Before they look. Um, because when you're brain dead, obviously there's nothing else in your body mm-hmm. that's gonna work. Yeah. Um, but at that point, you know, they're typically on a mechanical ventilator. They're on um, medications that go through all these lines and IVs that are keeping them alive, keeping yeah. the heart pumping. Because if blood's not flowing, your organs won't be viable, you know, and then you wouldn't be able to donate any of your organs. So they go through a rigorous testing process um, to be declared brain dead. And, you know, once that's declared, then, you know, absolutely that person is um, able to donate their organs. Yeah. And, and if you have checked that box on your license that's still not enough. You still need to tell your family members, yeah. tell your loved ones, your friends, whoever, hey, I'm an organ donor. Mm-hmm. Um, because in that situation, you want everyone to be able to know that and make that decision for mm-hmm. you, you know, if if that does happen. Because when when it does, you can potentially save up to eight people's lives when you donate an organ. That's incredible. And you can, you can save over 100 people or more um, of lives if you're a tissue or an eye um, donor, um, which is incredible. So, And that's what I was going to ask is what, when you sign up to be an organ donor, what organs does that mean? You know, Anything like, and there, everything. Really? Yes, so it is yes. across the so board. So absolutely. Um, and, and, and people think, well, I'm too old, can't donate. Not true. Mm-hmm. Um, or I have all these medical issues and problems. They probably don't want my organs. Well, and there may be some organs that, you know, won't work, but there may be some that do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they do all these lab tests and, and things. And if you are an organ donor and they say that we could probably maybe donate your kidneys or your liver or whatever, when they, when they take them back to the operating room, then they're able to really see, you know, the yeah. viability of the organs and whether or not they, you know, really will be able to, to be transplanted for someone else. Tom, when, when you all got that call, I remember we were all on pins and needles waiting, waiting for this call when we knew that it was coming up and, um, we knew how much you needed it. Tell us about when you all got that call and what that was like and just kind of play out that story for us. Uh, well, like I've alluded to, it's a call that once you get to that point and you know, you're competitive and that you, you know, that you're, you're right there at the top of the list or near it. Anytime that phone rings, it is a huge emotional mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> you know, we're in the era of getting all these fake calls every day. Yeah. And I mean, that drives you nuts. Um, and I had a lot of the uh, numbers at Vanderbilt programmed into my phone. Yeah. So, so you would know. You know yeah. I knew if Vanderbilt was calling me. And so on this particular day on October 17th, um, I'm preparing to uh, fly out of town for the day for uh, 
uh, something I had to do through work. And uh, about an hour before I was getting ready to leave, Vanderbilt pops up on my phone. And of course, you know, your heart starts beating. Yeah. And uh, so I, I answer and they, uh, it was somebody I had not spoken to before. I think it was a uh, nurse practitioner in the liver uh, transplant program. And uh, she told me, uh, confirm my identity first and then said, uh, we have a liver and uh, if you'd like it, you know, you can start heading this way. If you'd like it. Yeah, because you can, some people get to this point and I'll never understand it because, I, you know, I guess everybody's circumstances are yeah. different, but some people maybe, maybe they get too sick and there's, you know, it's the surgery is going to be so risky. Yeah. Some folks say no, like really? I don't want to go through with it. You know, I'm just going to, you know, let this play out naturally. I did not um, know that. I knew the way, at least at that point. Did you have like, to think I'm about ready. it for a second? No, I didn't. I, I was ready. <laughs> and I had four years to get my mind right. Yeah. Absolutely. I am, I am on my way. Yeah. And so uh, now through this whole process, I had been with my hepatologist at Vanderbilt for, I think, close to a dozen years. Mm -hmm. yeah. And my understanding was always that he was going to be the one to call me and, and let yeah. me know this was happening. And so I'm speaking to someone I've never, I have no relationship with, mm -hmm. never talked to before. So I'm thrilled that I've gotten the call. But I did say to her, I am going to proceed. I'm going to go home. I'm going to get my bag. I'm going to pack it real fast. Because we know we have about six hours that yeah. we're expected to be at the hospital. I said, I'm going to, the gears are turning. But I would really love to speak with Dr. Rayford. Mm -hmm. um, it was just that comfort of that having assurance. that familiar, yeah. you know. And uh, and he'd always told me, you know, sometimes you get uh, organs that are, that come from, a lot of organs come from uh, inmates who are deceased or people who have been uh, incarcerated. I, I never thought of that. <laughs> and they have to tell you. They, yeah. and, and in those instances, they're required to tell you that. And there are sometimes risks that go along with yeah. them. You know, maybe they were drug users, mm -hmm. all these things. And they did tell me that, this person at some point in their life had been incarcerated. Really? And so I really wanted to talk to Dr. Rafer because yeah. he had pretty much told me, you know, the hope is that when you get this call, that you're going to be getting a high quality organ because um, you're young enough, you're still in, you know, in good health and, and that's our hope, but you never know. And so I came home, I, I made a couple calls. I had to call uh, her first. Yes, you and, did. And, uh, during this particular season of life, she hated when I called her at work because she thought every time I called her, it was yes, the call. Yes, yes. And uh, so I'm sure she's probably looking at the phone like, oh, God, come well, on. Well, no, I, okay, so here's the deal. Like, he when he called, I was, um, you know, I, I work in the operating room, and I, I was in an operating room at the time, and so I saw that he called, so I just screamed my call, you know, and shut it down. Yeah. He immediately called back, and I was like, oh, crap. Oh, he has not done this here before. Yeah, because we'd had that talk. I'm like, you've got to stop calling me at work. It's stressing me out. Yeah. Um, so I knew when he called back. I was like, oh, okay. And so I answered the phone, and like, real low. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> and he's like, can you leave work? And I'm like. I'm a little busy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did you get called? He said, yes. I said, I'm on my way. <laughs> So, oh my gosh, yeah. did you want to kind of like throw up, but also like scream, but also I, yes, but you know what? It all happened so fast yes. and your adrenaline just starts kind of pumping and you just, you put your focus on what you got to do because you yeah. know what's ahead of you. And then you just get in that mode and go. So in our spare bedroom, I had a bag laid out and a piece of paper that was typed up and it was a list of all the things that I, cause I knew when the time came, it was going to be so hectic. My mind's going to be going a million miles a minute. You want to know what I just want needed. a list and mm -hmm. I can go down the list, throw these things in the bag and I'm ready to go. And by the time she got home, my bag was sitting over there by the you door. Were in the car. And he, and he, like, he was, car was sitting running. there waiting I'm on like, me to get go. home. Yeah. Yeah. We had did to wait. you have your stuff packed? I did not. We had to get our stuff situated with the dog and cause yeah, we had already yeah. had a friend that was going to um, take him for the time that we were away. So, uh, but we got it all handled pretty quickly. Yeah, but it, man, it was a hectic time. How long did it take you from the time you got the call to pull in to Vanderbilt? What, do you think we were there within four hours, maybe? We definitely, I Couldn't think, have been made it to three in the afternoon. No more than I usually do. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would have stopped that gas in the hopes that I'd get pulled over and then say, I need you to escort me the rest of the way. They did say that they don't pay for um, speeding tickets because I'm guessing that probably <laughs> like has happened all a lot. The time. And cops were like, oh, sorry about it. Let me write you this ticket and then be on your way. Have a nice I day. I would hope that the they probably wouldn't know if they should believe you or not, though. I know. Well, I'll just be like, you can follow us. I don't care. Also, next time I get pulled over, I kind of have a story. I'm like, I'm yeah. on my way to an organ donation. <laughs> there you go. So it's <laughs> very important. I'm on I my way there. to donate my organs. <laughs> but what were, when you pulled in, was, did you get to talk to your doctor 
I did. He in fact okay. called me back while I was packing that bag. Okay. Um, I was gonna say because I feel like mm-hmm. I still would be like, like ninety percent. This is great, but ten percent is this real? Like, oh, is yeah. this happening? Oh yeah. And he he talked to me, eased my eased some of my concerns, um, told me what he could about the organ, what they knew at that point. You know, they've got to wait till they get the organ on site, and really the transplant surgeons have a chance to look at it. And 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 there's there's a lot of folks that get this call and get there and. It's, no it's, a, it's kind of, a, you know, uh, false because yeah, the they, organ's not oh, viable. You know what? We got our hands on the organ and we don't feel good yeah. about it. And Gosh, so, can you just imagine that disappointment? No. That, like, and we were told that was a very real and happens pretty frequently and to prepare ourselves for that. Mm. So, um, you know, I guess we probably had it tucked away in the back of our mind um, just in case that that did happen. But thankfully, it, it didn't. Tom, do you think you'll ever meet the donor's family or is that an option? It is an option. You know, they really, uh, um, Tennessee Donor Services is real, real big on, um, I guess, privacy and yes. identity yeah. protection. And so, you know, we're just a little more than six months out. And uh, I knew that I wanted to get to a point with my work life where things slowed down a bit. And I wanted to get a few months out and be removed from it before I went ahead and wrote a letter. But what I do plan to write the family a letter. Mm-hmm. Um, I write for a living. I'm a communicator for a living. And it sounds crazy, but this is going to be the hardest letter I've ever had to write. And it's going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a work of art. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to take me a while to get my thoughts to, to properly communicate like what that family means and what their decision has meant for my life. Um, but I'll absolutely write them a letter. I'll give that to Tennessee Donor Services, who will make sure it gets to the right family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever meet. Um, it's, it's just, there's so much emotion tied into it. Mm-hmm. And I really would do a poor job of trying to articulate all the different things you think about. But uh, yeah. the main thing at this point is that I know for sure that I want to convey my appreciation yeah, for that yeah, family. Yeah. But what happens beyond that, you know, yeah. I, I'm not sure. And we'll they may, they may out. not want to meet. It's, sure. it's absolutely, it's up to them mm-hmm. whether or not they want to do that. And they could say, no, thanks, but no thanks. And, you know, that's just something that we have to respect. And yeah. that's absolutely fine. Um, I love uh, the idea of the letter though. That yeah. did not, um, occur to me as an option, but that's a beautiful option because sometimes it's so much easier to put it on paper than it is to try to look someone in the eye yeah. and think of what you, everything you want to say to them in a moment when you can really spend time on the letter. Sure. And, and the way that I think the system is set up is that that's not an option for me to meet them face to face. I think that first sort of correspondence, I, I'm not sure. Has that to that, be a letter. Yeah. 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 And then, too, you don't really know, like, what the circumstances were, you know, with that individual's death. Um, And it maybe, and we talked about this, you know, maybe that's something that we never really want to know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's it's definitely something that we have to think about and pray about. and, And maybe him writing the letter is really the end. All all that that he ever does. I I do know know that, you know. Every day I see the scar and I think about that person mm-hmm. every single day. So in the letter, I'm going to express that I would love for them to write me back and tell me a little bit about this person. Mm-hmm. I just like to know a little bit, you know, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. I'm such a story driven person yeah. that I would just wonder what were they like? What did they do? What did they, you know, I mean, just out of sheer curiosity of yes. what this person saved my life. Yeah. I'm just, I want to know a little bit about them. Yeah. I want to, I want to live my life in a way that honors that person. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, we talked earlier about the fact that we like to travel and even for my job, I travel kind of regionally and, you know, uh, I guess my first trip after this transplant was New York city. Mm-hmm. And during the trip, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if my liver's ever been to New York City before, yeah. you know? And, yeah. then, and so there's just so many things you think about. Like this You're person is show with this me in liver a way. Like, I'm gonna, yeah, absolutely. And it sounds corny, he, but he I has want a newfound chocolate addiction. Yeah. And he is pretty certain that whoever's liver they it was, they loved chocolate. Because Isn't that so great? I mean, but not. that's how, I, how could you not think that way? Yeah. Like, here are changes. Here's something weird. I, I feel like even what I just said, you're going to show the liver of the world. I literally was thinking that before you even said, I went to New York City and I thought, that liver's going to go all sorts of places. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. And it's like you said, it sounds cheesy, but it's just a whole new outlook. Yeah. Once you've, did you, I know that you struggled a little bit with just the thought that, you know, for me to live, someone has to die. How did you navigate that emotion? Uh, Well, there's no finish line for that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still, that's heavy and you think about it all the time. Um, 
So it's just really just being deliberate about how you live your life and how you treat people. And mm-hmm. just like I said, trying to honor that person. Um, and that constant gratefulness, because, even what you just said, when you look at that scar, you think of that person. And Yeah, know. it's something that you have, you know, I had four years really to think about that a whole sure. lot. Um, what's that going to mean? You know, this person's going to have to, you know, some family's going to have to undergo tremendous sadness and loss for me mm-hmm. to have this opportunity that's going to like vastly improve my life. Um, and you can think about it all you want, but until you wake up from that surgery and realize like, man, some, you know, this really happened. This is mm-hmm. real. Like it's, it's, it's very, very heavy. Yeah. What was it like coming out of that surgery? <laughs> well, I guess my first word uh, when they, uh, you know, this is a whole story into it of itself, but <laughs> the worst thing that someone can say to me is congratulations. Mm-hmm. And I understand that that's coming from a good place, but in my mind, you know, like I said, someone died. And so yeah. congratulations to me, isn't the proper word. Now I don't know, you know, I understand when people say that they're absolutely meaning it, you know, from, sure. the, from in the yeah. right spirit. Yeah. But, uh, so the one person you'd think would not say this is someone that works in a hospital, but the, sure. per, the first person that I encountered, I guess, when they took my uh, breathing tube out, uh, when I came to, I was kind of starting to wake up and I still had that breathing tube in and you're kind of freaking out because yeah. it's like, man, I want this thing out. And so there was two, two, uh, I guess, nurses or medical professionals in the room that helped get that breathing tube out. They finally took it out. And the lady says to me, congratulations, you have a new liver. And I guess, it, I guess all I said was unbelievable. Yep. You did. That was, that was your first uh, word. Yep. But it was just, you know, you don't have a lot of words. I mean, you're mm-hmm. just, the thoughts that are running through your head are just, you know, I cannot believe this has happened. Yeah, I mean, there were yeah. times during that whole journey where, uh, you know, you convince yourself it's never going to happen. You read about stories of people who have had this disease. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I'm going to end up like Walter Payton, the football player. And I'm going to turn, this is going to turn into liver cancer and that's going to kill me. And I'm mm-hmm. never going to, I'm never going to get the transplant. Mm-hmm. And you convince yourself of so many bad sure. things. And so for you to wake up and realize, holy cow, this is, this is, a new lease on life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Your whole mm-hmm. thought process changes. Yeah. yeah. Brooke, I mean, you obviously walked alongside Tom this whole time and not even just with organ donation or with, you know, um, your liver health, but in general, anyone that is walking next to someone who's battling a health struggle, mm-hmm. what are some things that you learned through this? Well, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard. And it consumed both of our lives in a different way. You know, it consumed Tom, you know, with his um, physical um, sense and, you know, and it, and it played a toll on his emotional health. And, um, you know, you, you even at times um, it it plays um, games with your spiritual health. Sure. You know, I mean, you you have a lot of questions and you're just like, why? You know, why is my husband having to deal with this? Why are we having to, mm-hmm. to go through this? And you know, like, is there ever going to be, is there ever going to be an end in sight? Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you learn patience. Um, I learned to try to be patient with Tom when he was having, you know, a really bad day. Um, and it was a kind of a, it was a balance to, to be able to be supportive and loving, but also kind of giving him his space sometimes when he needed that. Um, so, you know, I just feel like I just, was able to fine tune those things based on what kind of day he was having and just was there in whatever capacity he needed me to be. Um, I think it helped me grow stronger as an individual, um, just to be strong for him. Um, not to say that I didn't have my moments where I had my own breakdowns, but I never wanted him to see that. And really Tom probably never wanted me to see his breakdowns either, but that's just, part of marriage and, you know, it's okay to see each other that way. Um, but there are times where I just had to let him, you know, do his thing and, um, cry a little bit, um, you know, and just there to hug him and, and, um, hold his hand and, um, prayed together. And, you know, we, we very lucky we have a strong support system in our family and friends and, Um, so, you know, we always would feel the love and prayers from everyone. And that certainly helped Mm -hmm. along the journey for the both of us, you know, in, in different ways. But, um, you know, you, you learn, you learn how strong your marriage is Mm -hmm. in times like this. Um, because when things get dark, it, it affects everything. And I feel like we've come out stronger on the other side of it. Um, 
because we've really, I mean, the, the past four years have just been very trying and has, has been a big struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, and I also think that a big part of us coming through stronger on the other side is, um, us getting involved with severe heights. Um, I think if, if we weren't there today and we're not members of the church and, um, and develop so many great friendships with people at the church, um, I'm not really sure what our journey would look like today. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, not certain that um, we'd be sitting on the other side of things. I, I don't know if if that call would have come when it did. I don't know, um, but I feel like that was was huge for for the both of us during this. That can't you know that can't be overstated because for a lot of that journey, I did not know the Lord, mm -hmm. and uh, it was probably about midway through being on the on the list. Uh, it was. November of 2015, when I finally came, made the decision to trust Jesus. And it totally helped me to change my outlook. Um, beforehand, I would say that my attitude toward the process, I was, I was, you know, hopelessly treading water. Mm. I had a very, very much had a why me attitude. Why am I going through this? You know, um, feeling sorry for myself, being angry. And, um, when you realize that, uh, the end game's already been figured out. It's already been determined. And, you know, you just got to abide in the Lord and trust in him. Um, you go from hopelessly treading water to just sort of faithfully enduring and understanding that, Hey, no matter what happens, it's, 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 we're not designed to understand the why or the timing. Um, but it's all, it's all going to work out and, uh, it's all in the Lord's plan. And that really, uh, you know, I, I truly believe that that domino had to fall before I was going to get that mm -hmm. call. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the friends and the network of support that we got as a result of our relationship at Severe Heights, um, those were really the, the, the people that helped get us through that, yeah. that, that point. What a shift from treading water to hopelessly treading water. Is that what you said? Hopelessly treading to faithfully enduring. Um, I think that is just a perfect picture of two sides of that coin. Um, let's lay it out we started this with, we know nothing about organ donation. I feel like we've spelled it out. So to, to wrap up that portion of it, Tom, just and Brooke, who can be an organ donor? How can you be an organ donor? Why should you be an organ donor? Anybody Anyone. with a valid driver's license can mm -hmm. make the decision to be an organ donor. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that may be one of the myths is that a lot of people feel like you have to go to the DMV or the County clerk in order to do so. And you certainly can do that. But, uh, that's not the only way, you know, you can be, you know, folks that are listening to this right now on their couch uh, in their underwear can decide to pull up their phone. <laughs> what and a go, way to listen. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that visual. <laughs> uh, you can fill out your phone and go to be the gift today.com and you can register people who maybe think, man, I, you know, a few years ago, I think I checked that box, but I don't really remember. You can go on check. Yeah. You can go to be the gift today.com and make, you know, it takes about two minutes to answer all the questions, mm -hmm. put in your driver's license number. If you've already registered, it'll say, Hey, you're in the system. And if you haven't, it'll, let you register. You can uh, choose what you know you'd like to donate in terms of what solid organs you'd like to donate or tissues, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, and it, it, it's really easy. And like she said earlier, I mean, just making that decision. I mean, I'm I'm here having this opportunity to to kind of have new life because right. a family, uh, someone individual that I don't know and I'll never get a chance to thank, you know, made that decision. But man, what a way to go out. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? To to give somebody that that second chance at life. And right. um, you know, a lot of folks were able to do that and provide multiple organs that go to multiple people and, mm -hmm. and change so many families uh, outlooks mm -hmm. on life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um you can donate two lungs. You can donate two kidneys, donate your liver, you can donate your heart, and um, a lot of people don't know that you can donate your intestines, um, which is not a common yeah. um, transplant, but it happens. Um, and then your eyes, you can save um, two people with eyesight by doing corneal um, transplants. I do from have the a very eyes. random question about that. You might not know the answer. 
Do they get your eyesight? No, they don't. Because it would be a sad no. day. They would that, wake up and be so disappointed. So that is actually, yeah, that's another myth. People are like, I don't want to see so-and-so's eyes in someone else. And it's not like the entire eye. It's it's the cornea, and it, which is just like a thin lens, yeah. you know, on your eye. That's what they're transplanting, and, and that enables yeah. someone else to be able to see. So, no, it's... They'd be, they'd yeah. have a lazy yeah. eye. And they'd, be, they'd be real <laughs> yeah. sad. Yeah. And then, like I, I said earlier, with the, the skin and tissues, that can be used for so many different things. And people who have burns, uh, you know, when they um, have surgeries to fix all that with um, skin grafts and such, um, the tissues can be used to make tendons for people, um, heart valves, um, there's things with bone that they can do. I mean, it's That's just incredible. incredible. Do you think Everything you would you can know do. all of this had you not been married to Tom? Probably yes, just because I work in the medical field. So you would know all the organ donation stuff. Yes. You are just a um, wealth of information. Yeah. And I'm and, just amazed. I would I be surprised that, if she knew it to the level that she does. I think yeah. maybe she has a little enhanced um, yeah, well, I say that desire to learn about it. We provide, um, you know, Obviously, when organ retrieval is done, it's done in the operating room. Yeah. You know, and I'm a nurse anesthetist. And so um, anesthesia is very heavenly evolved in the process because um, we're, we're the key that's up there at the top, kind of keeping all the drips and everything sure. running and keeping all that flowing, um, you know, in order to, to keep all that mm-hmm. where it needs to be for them to, to retrieve um, the individual's organs. Yeah. So um, I've I've seen transplants firsthand. I've seen both sides of it. Um, I've seen the really sad side um, when they're doing the retrieval. And I will say, and a lot of people probably have seen in social media and maybe on the news, that a lot of hospitals now are doing um, what's called an honor walk for the individual that is donating their organs. And we've started doing that um, at my hospital I cry every and, time. Well, it's I can't. On the news. It's, I would lose it. It's hard, um, especially being, you You're know, in, in the it. position, yeah, mm-hmm. that I'm in. I think it makes it even more difficult. But I also Does know like how special it is. Too? Yes, mm-hmm. the family will walk with them all the way to the operating mm-hmm. room, and it's just, it's incredible, and it's such an incredible tribute yeah. to that individual and that family. And the last time I, I did it, I, I had to walk away because I was crying so hard. Um, and it, and it's hard for me to be involved with those cases now mm-hmm. as an anesthesia provider, um, just because, you know, of my unique situation, it, it's hard to separate that emotion, you know, from, from being like, you know, just the anesthesia professional, um, because I know, um, you know, both I know sides. exactly. You see both yeah, sides. It's so of emotional, so mm-hmm. emotional, but I will say that those those patients are treated with so much dignity mm-hmm. and respect. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people probably don't realize that, but a lot of times um, before the surgery begins, um, there'll be letters that the family has written mm-hmm. and um, staff in the room, they'll read those letters. And oftentimes, um, you know, someone will say a prayer mm-hmm. um, before the surgery. Um, and it's, it's just incredibly moving yeah. and very special. It's not just a flippant thing. Yeah, that's just, it's not not at all. That's just done um, as a, like a medical procedure. Absolutely, it has and, so and much I think more tied to right. It. And I think if people knew that and understood that side of things, it would make them, you know, want to do it even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So say the website one more time, Tom, that they can they can look at. Be the gift today dot com. Be the gift today dot com. We will for sure link to that on show notes. So it's easy to find. And like Tom said, it takes two minutes to even just check, look to make that decision. And like Brooke said, if you make that decision, make sure it's not just you who knows it. Right. Make sure Tell your everyone. family, all yeah. your people yeah. know it. Um, okay. So the way we wrap up every episode is you all share something that you're so happy someone did tell you about. What's something you just really love right now? I'll go first. I'm so glad you're prepared. This, the amount of okay. people who just stare at me when I ask this I'm question. I'm just going to say that my mind was blown when someone told me about this on the little podcast thing, the 30 second fast forward. Yes. That is life changing. You don't do that to me, do you? No, I don't. <laughs> and the reason being is because you don't have commercials, but you're going to get yes. so popular that you're going to get sponsorships and stuff. And you're probably going to start having commercials. Here's my commitment. So I'm going to have to fast forward. Here's my those. commitment. I'm going to write them all myself. <laughs> And they're going to be at least interesting to listen to. I will do my very okay, best. I won't fast forward. When I get, when I get sponsored by, um, uh, who are the people that send you food? 
all the time that you can order food from that always advertise on here. Fresh. Hello, fresh. (laughs) That one will be good. That one and the security company that sponsors every podcast in the world. I will, I will write something. I'll, <laughs> I will write something you, that that calls you out too, bro. Do you do you want me to do the commercials for you? I think I you should. As, I'll do them as for a free. podcast listener. I'll do them I for think free. you should. I'll, I'll let charge you, you be the voice. Okay. I love it. <laughs> Thomas. This is a tough one for me. And I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go the food route. Bro. And I'm thrilled that someone uh told us this I don't know how recent, I would say within the last year about Sono Taco. Because I oh, really, so, really, that's our really enjoy right eating now. there. And another place that I'm really glad someone told me about and that we've tried is Poke Works. I need to know about Pokeballs. Oh, it's good. It's amazing. I need to know what it's are good. they? Man, it's goodness in a bowl. <laughs> what I mean, like, is it do you? Is it like a subway? Except it's like, how does it work? Like a sushi subway. Okay. Yeah. So you you basically uh, can make sushi in a bowl. Um, but it doesn't have to be raw fish. They have right. chicken. They have shrimp. Oh, that's good. But it's good. just, yeah. you know, rice and all sorts of different uh, sauces and ingredients that can go along with it. And it's just really clean. It, it just makes feels, you feel so healthy. You know, it doesn't have that greasy yeah. heavy. It's just clean. Yeah. It's good. Speaking yeah. of greasy heavy, Sono Taco, their shell that their taco salad comes in. I can not eat the shell almost anywhere else, but theirs is so good. That I have to eat the shell after I finish the salad. I don't think I've had their taco salad. I don't, I don't mess around with any taco salad. I can it tell you that. <laughs> Listen, you don't even know what you're missing. I don't I like the judgment in your voice right now, Tom. <laughs> shrimp quesadilla is my move. Right you get it now. every time. Yep. Shrimp quesadilla. Someone told me to never get seafood at a place that's not uh, touching the ocean. <laughs> I have heard that. Well, that's everywhere here. <laughs> that is that is a rule that someone, they were from Florida when they shared that rule with me. But I mean, I like Captain D's, so just get off my back is all I can say. I don't care who you are. That stuff is good. That's all I can say. Okay, guys, you are two of my favorite people in the whole wide world. Now, I don't just say this because I have a mic in my hand. I'd say it if we weren't recording. I'll tell you the truth. And I'm up for another trip to um, Nashville to get donuts with you, Brooke, any day. Oh, let's do it. (laughs) Some cronuts. Wait, before you go, there's a couple things I need you to know about. First, jump on Instagram and follow us at N-O-T-M Podcast. We'd love for you to like and share a lot of the stuff that we talk about every single week. And it keeps you up to date on everything else going on around the podcast. So meet us there. Talk with us. Tell us some of the things you want to hear about. We want to know. And then you can jump on over to iTunes and leave us a review because those are some of my favorite things. I'll see you next week.